He's coming. Yeah, he's coming. He's coming back. <laughs> Tell somebody next to you he's coming back. <laughs> Woo. I don't know what the lie you've been told is, but he's nailed it to the cross. You may think that you're a failure. You may think that life can never get any better, but I got news for you. He's nailed that report to the cross. The Bible says he's made a public spectacle of your sin. He's taken your sin, the, the things that the enemy's tried to slow you down. The, he's nailed it to the cross permanently, finally, forever. And if he's risen, if he nailed it to the cross, then that means it's dealt with. And if he's risen, that means that resurrection life is yours. Not only did he nail it to the cross, not only did he nail the lie, the sin, the issue to the cross, but it also means that because he resurrected, that you don't have to continue on in the lie and the issue in the past. You've got a new story. I said, you have a new story. If you've been redeemed, you have a new story. The lie's been nailed to the cross, but you have a new resurrection life. He's made all things new. In Christ, all things are made new. So stop living the old lie. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke. I want to take a look at lessons this morning we learned from our wilderness journey. You might find yourself in a wilderness this morning, but God works miracles in wilderness places. There's an experience with God. There's a, there's a miracle in your life that can only happen in a wilderness place. The word We use the word wilderness not just as a physical location, but we talk about it in a metaphorical sense. The word wilderness means an uncultivated uninhabited, inhospitable region, a neglected or abandoned place. Sometimes in our journey, we find ourselves in these uninhabited, neglected, inhospitable places, places we feel like we're neglected, we're abandoned, but it's in those places where you feel abandoned. It's in the place where you feel like you're in a neglected place that God shows up in a powerful way and does something miraculous in your life. In, in Luke chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to verse 21. And it says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son, and whom I'm well pleased. We love these kinds of moments. We love the moments where God shows up in an unprecedented way, just like this morning where we shout and dance and rejoice in His presence. But I've got good news for you. There's a wilderness coming. You see, right after Jesus was baptized, you know, we, we, we have this baptism story where if you can just imagine with me that crowds have gathered, there's people that have come out to be baptized by John the Baptist. They're, they're, they're wanting to be a part of what's happening. And then you have the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the said you have all the religious leaders who have gathered and they're, they're criticizing and judging what's happening. And then in the middle of this, Jesus walks out, nobody really knows who Jesus is at this point. Nobody, he hasn't really started his ministry at this point. I mean, this is all very, very new, and, and, and who he is is new. He's showing up on the scene, so to speak, and he walks out in the middle, and John the Baptist, in the middle of, of all that's happening, he says, this, behold, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world shocks them all as if John the Baptist hadn't been controversial enough now he's really controversial he's declaring Jesus of Nazareth this guy of the carpenter's son this man is the lamb that's supposed to be slain he's the one that's to redeem humanity and in the middle of 
the baptism, I'm sure mouths have dropped open. Who does he think he is? What is happening? And in the middle of the baptism, the sky splits open. And a voice, the voice of God, roars through. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. What a scene. I mean, and the Holy Spirit comes like a dove in the form of a dove and lands and sits on Jesus' shoulder. He's there, he comes and, 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 and is involved in this baptism. What a scene. I love church services like that. I love church services when... When the angels sing and you hear them sing, I love to see people healed and delivered. I I love seeing the miracles and the power of God moving and touching people. I mean, I I could I could tell stories for days and watching the glory and the power of God. I love it. I mean, it's exciting. It's it's invigorating. I mean, there's there's nothing like praying for people and seeing God touch people and change people and see the addictions broken and sick people heal. I mean, it's powerful. Demons leave. That's awesome. It's awesome. But but there is a, a Luke chapter three, and then there's a Luke chapter four. <laughs> and Luke chapter four and verse one says, Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led, everybody say, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was filled with the Spirit. I mean, they had had church. It was a good day in the house of the Lord. And he leaves and he goes home and the Holy Spirit, the word led by right there, actually in the Greek means to be driven, that he was literally driven, steered by the Holy Spirit to go into the wilderness to be tempted. I don't know about you, but, but when, I, when I got born again, nobody told me, you're going to get born again, you're going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're going to get baptized in water, you're going to see signs in water, and oh, by the way, you're going to be led into the wilderness. <laughs> Nobody warned me and said, hey, by the way, you're going to have wilderness moments in your journey with Christ. But how many of you know wilderness moments are reality? And it is in those wilderness moments that the Lord shows up in a powerful way. The wilderness, the barren places, the places of neglect, the places of abandonment soon turn into rivers of rushing water where it seems that there's no vegetation and no life. All of a sudden, you find yourself in the middle of your abandoned place and God makes fruit to burst fruit on the scene. I've got good news for you this morning. When you show up in an abandoned place, in a neglected place, when you show up in a wilderness... It's God's intention not only to do something in your life, but He's changing the very environment that you're in. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know that you heard me. I, when you show up, there's, when you show up on the scene, not because of who you are, but because of what God's wanting to accomplish in and through your life, that wilderness place, that barren place, is going to start singing and start rejoicing. What seems like a desert soon becomes a spring of living water. So when you start showing up in in your wilderness, stop complaining and grumbling about your wilderness and start looking around at the desert place around you and start singing over it and saying, you're going to become a spring of living water. Fruitfulness is happening in my barren place. Good God, I feel somebody that's setting in with someone this morning. Fruitfulness is going to happen in my barren place, in my wilderness. In my wilderness journey, it's going to rejoice in the Lord. My desert place is going to sing to the Lord. My desert place is going to burst forth with, with springs of living water. Trees are clapping their hands. Vegetation is producing fragrant offerings to the Lord. I wish somebody would help me preach this morning. I don't, I don't know about you. But I want to start singing over my desert place. When you walk into your desert, when you walk into your wilderness, it's where God is going to make things come to life. Oh yeah, He's going to deal with the issues in your own life that maybe have sat dormant and abandoned. 
I mean, after all, when, when he brings us into the wilderness, it's to deal with the issues of our heart, right? It's to, to bring us into a place of intimacy where we're closed in with him. Where he changes us and works in, on us. But you have to understand the principles of the kingdom. That God never brings you somewhere where he doesn't intend to release a blessing. You are under a covenant with God. You are under a covenant with Him. And there's absolutely no place that your foot sets and your hand sets its work to that God doesn't intend to bless and prosper. When you're planted and rooted in Him, you show up in desert places and they begin to blossom. You show up at your work site and all of a sudden your business is blessed. Everything that you do in your work environment, and they don't understand, they think it's something that they've done, but it's because they hired you. You carry the favor of the Lord on your life. That's why you ought to be a good employee and steward the job that God gives you, because there's a blessing on your life, and if you will steward the gift that God's given you, and you're a pleasant employee, and you honor your employer, and you work hard, the favor of God's on your life, and He'll advance you and use you in a supernatural way there. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. And your family, your family may look like a desolate place, but when, when you show up, when you walk into that family member's house, there's a blessing and a favor on your life. That desert place is going to bloom. I'm talking to somebody this morning. So Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness. Miracles happen in the wilderness. Jesus, actually if you flip over just a few verses, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's tempted. By the way, let's just look at this. The first thing that the enemy tempts him with, and, and the same is true for all of us. When you walk into your wilderness journey, the temptations are real. You will face the temptation. When you walk into that desert, abandoned place, you're going to face the temptation to grumble. You're going to face the temptation to, to retreat back. Let's look at the temptations Jesus faced. He, the devil said, if you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. You're going to be tempted about your provision, your, your sustenance. Just you, you, You're fasting, Jesus. Just turn the stone to bread and eat it. You're okay. Notice Jesus' response. It is written. Every time the enemy came against him, he said, it is written. He came back to the enemy with truth, the standard of truth. You always come back. When you're in that desert place, in the wilderness place, you got to know the truth of God. It's, it's in those places. And I talked to somebody this morning. It's in those places, in those desert places, where you really find out what's on the inside of you. It's in those hard places that you find out, do you know it is written? Come on, don't shut me down. I'm telling you the truth. Do, is it really on the inside of you? Is the Word of God really on the inside of you? Are you really speaking out the truth of God? Or are you retreating back into the lies and giving in to the temptation of the enemy? But when the Word is on the inside of you, you can stand your ground when the enemy comes. When the lie comes, you can stand your ground and say, It is written. He said, you can, the devil told me, he said, all this authority I'll give you. All the glory it has been given to me, I'll give it to whomever I wish. All you got to do is worship me. I'll give you riches and fame. You can have your name and lights. Just stop, just stop and worship me. Just, in other words, just worship the lie. You know, we, I, I don't know, most Christians aren't going to go worship the devil. We don't, we don't, you know, in the, in the middle of a hard place, we're not setting up a demonic shrine somewhere in our homes, bowing down and worshiping the devil. That doesn't happen. But I'll tell you what happens with Christians is, is we, don't, we don't worship the devil. We don't worship the father of lies, but we find a lie to worship nonetheless. We find a lie that will capture our attention and tickle our fancies, make us feel good. And we lie, we just worship it just a little bit. 
What is the lie that you're believing? What's the lie that you're worshiping? It's there. What you worship is what you become. And if you're worshiping the lie, guess what you become? So Jesus said, it is written, and he spoke truth. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm not going to worship the lie. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to worship his name. I'm going to worship who he is. And then he says, if you'll throw yourself down from here. If you are the son of God, just throw yourself off. If you do it, the angels are going to have charge of you. They're going to keep you. questioning his power and authority. When you go into that wilderness place, one of the things that the enemy will cause a question, the first thing is your provision. He always always comes after provision. And then he comes after the riches and the the fame, your identity. It's all about your identity. Who are you going to worship? Your identity. Are you worshiping God or is is this about you? You ugly thing, you. Right? And then the third thing he comes after is your authority. Your authority as a believer. Who you are rooted in Christ. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. You are founded, rooted, birthed, an heir, co-heir with Christ. All of your identity, who you are, is found in him. And your authority as a believer is rooted in him. And the enemy would like nothing more in that desert wilderness place. To get you to begin to question the authority that you have in Christ. Because then what happens is you no longer carry yourself as a child of God. You allow yourself to be beaten down and carry the burden of the world and the burden of your situation. The burden of your circumstance. But when you recognize one who you are in Christ and the authority of Christ in your life. You can look at that situation and say this desert place is going to bloom. I don't know that you heard me this morning. Maybe I'm talking to someone this morning that's in the wilderness place and you've exchanged your authority in Christ to to allow yourself to be cast down. I'm not talking about casting yourself off the side of a building like the devil was tempting Jesus with. I'm talking about allowing your soul. David said, oh my soul, why are you cast down within me? You allow yourself to be cast down emotionally, mentally in your soulish realm. You allow yourself to be cast down and tormented instead of allowing yourself recognizing your spiritual authority and saying self you will not be cast down you will not succumb to the the temptation of the enemy rise up authority of God on the inside and begin to speak to that situation situation you will change desert you will bloom Family, you will change. Self, you're going to change. You're going to transform. I hope you hear me this morning. I sense, I sense the Holy Spirit speaking to someone, maybe multiple someones this morning, that this is a reality. Why are you downcast on my soul? Don't allow yourself to be cast down. I'm not saying it's not, it's not a real thing that you're going to experience emotions. When you walk into that desert place and you look around you and all you see is barrenness, wilderness. Yeah, there's emotions that's going to happen. But you look at yourself and you say, self, I walk by faith. I don't walk by sight. What I see is temporary. What I do not see is eternal. There's an eternal God who's working eternal things in the middle of this wilderness. I can't see it right now. But there's, there's rose bushes blooming along, along my path. I can't see it right now, but the palm trees are coming up. I can't see it right now, but there's a river flowing through the middle of this thing. I can't see it with my natural, but my spiritual eyes see the blessing of the Lord in this. And when you have faith like that, 
When you walk into your wilderness and you're led by the Spirit into your wilderness and you say, it is written, I am not giving in to the temptation of the devil. I'm not giving in to the temptation of the lie. It is written. It creates an assurance and a confidence to be able to say to your desert place, it is written. Now, Jesus had quite the experience in the wilderness. But in verse 40, if you flip pages or whatever you have to do to get to verse 40, Luke chapter 4, verse 40, it says, When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons came out of many, crying out, saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. I want you to think about this. What a a church service. Again, this was, you know, Jesus is ministering to the multitudes. They're being healed. They're being delivered. They're being set free. Great things are happening all around them. And then what does it say in verse 42? It says, And when it was was day, he departed, and he went into a deserted place. Jesus chose to go into the wilderness. And in in the very beginning of Luke 4, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And now at the end of Luke chapter 4, he has chosen To go into the desert place, the wilderness place. There's a place in God that you and I can only go in the wilderness. Did you hear me this morning? I often joke that, you know, if you don't feel the fire, there's a season in your life where you don't feel the fire, you better find it. Better get to the altar and find the fire. Because there's safety in the fire. You know, there's, there's times where we need to press pause and we need a little bit of a reprieve from the fire. But the fire, in the, in the place of the fire, in the place of the testing, is where you have the greatest joy. It's the place of the greatest breakthrough. It's the place of the greatest intimacy with God. It's, it's there in those places, in the desert place, just like Jesus here at the end of Luke, chooses to get away into the place of the wilderness to pray. The very place where he was fasting and tempted by the devil, most of us would say, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go back to that place. I don't want to go back to the hard place. Can I tell you that it's the hard place that God's using to do something in your life? Stop avoiding, stop running from the hard places. Don't run from the hard place. It's in the hard season, in the hard place, that God works miracles in your life. It's in the hard places that He begins to draw out who He is in you. It's in the hard places that you really learn what it means when Jesus said it is written. It's in the hard places that you learn intimacy with the Father like you've never had before. It's in the hard places. God, I wish somebody would help me this morning. It's in the hard places. Do you hear this? Don't run from the hard places. Trying to help you. I'm just trying to pastor you this morning. It's in the hard places where you feel like, is breakthrough ever going to happen? Is this situation ever going to change? Is this person ever going to change? Is this this situation ever going to change? It's in those places. Does anybody hear me? It's where God does something in your life. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Stop trying to make the hard things easy. You know, we like our microwave, you know. Just pop it in, nuke it, and you're good. Air fryers, the whole, you know, however we can make this. Let's speed this up, Lord. Let's speed this up. Whatever you got to do in my life, just speed it up, Lord. 
Just speed it up. And the Lord says, nope, you got to get on the floor and lay a little bit. He says, nope, you got to percolate for a little bit. This isn't a fast work. This isn't an easy work. This is a transformative work. I'm changing you from glory to glory. Mm-hmm. If you flip over to 1 Samuel, we're going to look at a few scriptures this morning. 1 Samuel 17. We find another example of being in the wilderness. 1 Samuel 17. Another wilderness journey we can learn from. The Israelites were on one side and the Philistines on the other. And out of the Philistine camp comes this giant, nine-foot-tall monster who begins to taunt and torment the Israelites. And David is out with the sheep. Watching over the sheep. And he's doing his thing. And Jesse says, David, come here. Your brothers are out at the front line. There's a, there's a battle happening. Your brothers are out at the front line. And they forgot their lunch sack. Can you go bring them their lunch boxes? And David goes out to the front lines of the battle. And he hears... This Philistine giant mocking, not Israel. He says, mocking God. He said, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep, and this is in 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it. And delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. That's, that's pretty good. I mean, I haven't, I haven't wrestled a lion or a bear anytime soon. Come back next week. I'll have a testimony. <laughs> Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Those are pretty strong words. I mean, I don't know about you, but somebody come up to me and say, you uncircumcised Philistine. I would I mean, like, them's fighting words. Like, okay. Anyway. Said, <laughs> some of you will get that when you go home later today. You're like, what are you talking about? Anyway. It's a Jewish joke. I'm sorry. Seeing, yeah, no, I'm not Jewish. <laughs> seeing he has, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And this is what David says. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. When you're in the middle of your wilderness and you're facing the giant, the Lord brings victory. You may walk out into the wilderness and you see a giant. You see someone who's coming against the very nature of who God is. You can stand again in your authority. Say, I don't know about you, but I know that the Lord's going to take your head off. I know the Lord's going to deal with you. I know the Lord's going to handle this situation. So David, what happens? In verse 45, David said to the Philistine, he walks out there. Now, now this is, let me pause before I read this. So, so Saul says here, if you're going to go, if you're going to really do this, here, here's my armor. Put your armor on. You know, and to me, if I'm going out against a Philistine, I, I'm, you know, he's got a spear, you know, that's like 
twice the size of my body. I think I want some armor. I want some protection. And David's like, no, this doesn't work. I'll take the five stones, please. Like, if I'm going into a battle and the guy's got a semi-automatic AR, you know, I'm like, I want that or bigger. <laughs> like, if we're going to fight, I'm going to have the, the lead on this, right? I, when I was a kid, I, I didn't, I've never liked people messing with people. I've only been in one fight, maybe two. One my whole, my whole life. And, and the whole reason I got into the fight, I was, I was probably 10, 11 years old maybe. And the whole reason I got into the fight was because this older kid was picking on a younger kid. And I've always had a problem with bullies. I don't like bullies. I don't like when my kids get bullied. I don't like bullies, right? I don't like bullies. Anybody like bullies? We don't like bullies. I don't like bullies. Everybody say I don't like bullies. I don't like bullies. And I saw this older kid picking on this other kid, and I thought, he's a lot bigger than me, but I, I don't care. And, and my, you uncircumcised Philistine kicked in, you know? I felt like, David, who do you think you are? And it was all over this stupid little bouncy ball. He took the kid's bouncy ball. I'm like, can't you go get your own bouncy ball? Get a bouncy ball. You don't have to take the kid's bouncy ball. So I said, I walked up to him, and I felt like, I was big stuff. I said, give him back the bouncy ball. I said, are you going to make me? Yeah, I am. <laughs> Give him back his bouncy ball. Can you imagine me doing this? <laughs> Give him back his bouncy ball. He said, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to make you. And then he goes to kick me. That was the worst mistake he ever made. I don't know what happened. I had the spirit of Elijah come on me. I don't know. <laughs> I, all of a sudden, Karate Kid came out of me. And I grabbed his leg. How I many his legs suspended in the air? I grabbed his leg. And I went, whoosh. <laughs> and he fell instantly to the ground in a lot of pain. And I said, give him back his ball. And I walked away. It's the only fight I've ever been in. But I had the power of the Lord on me. And the spirit of Karate Kid came on me, and I don't know. I mean, we were good. When you walk into your wilderness and you see the giant coming your way, I promise the same. It won't be the spirit of Karate Kid. It will be the spirit of the Lord come upon you. And you'll look at that giant. You said, you've come to me today. David said, you've come to me with a spear and a sword, but I've come to you in the name of the Lord. And you can, you can get you come to me. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. You just you cross the wrong person. There's not a battle that you walk into that victory isn't already sure. Now, if you created your own problem, don't blame God for it. But when God sends you out into the wilderness... And you find yourself staring at Goliath. He's going to deal with it. Victory's coming in your wilderness. In Genesis, if you flip over Genesis, we find another wilderness journey. In Genesis 37, actually, the, I'm not going to... The, the story of Joseph is about 10 chapters, so I'm not going to read all of them. You should go read them, though. It's a great story. I'm sure you remember Joseph was given by his father Jacob the coat of many colors, this, this beautiful garment. The Bible says in Genesis 37 that Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his children. And his brothers were mad. His brothers were mad at him because, the, because he had dad's favor. And not only did he have dad's favor, but dad made a coat for him and gave him this coat. And so they conspired. You know, they, they were upset. And, and Joseph, you know, Joseph and all of his uh, teenage uh, <laughs> wisdom here, 
You know, he's a young adult, a teenager, and the Lord gives him a dream. And what's the dream? His brothers, his family's going to bow down and worship him, right? And, and instead of having a little bit of maturity and understanding about the situation, instead of having maturity, uh, he has a little bit of pride and maybe a little bit of zealousness, and he goes and tells them, hey, guess what? You're going to bow down and worship me. They were, they were already mad. They were already had issues because of dad, he was daddy's boy and, and had all the favor, had all the blessing. And now he's telling them, God told me a secret. You're going to bow down and worship me. <laughs> Look at me. And so there were issues in Joseph's life that could only be dealt with by our wilderness journey. If you watch the story of Joseph from the beginning and you follow him through, there's a transformation that happens in Joseph's life, and we get the play-by-play in Genesis. We get to watch and learn through Joseph's life. Joseph is sold into slavery. His father's told that he's dead. He ends up working for Potiphar, leader of Egypt. And he gets favor in the middle. I mean, right and left, everything that he does is blessed. Because remember, wherever you go, the blessing of the Lord is on your life. You're under a supernatural covenant. You're his. Everywhere you go, there's favor. Everything you say your hand to. And the Bible says that about Joe. Everything he set his hand to. He couldn't get away from the blessing. I mean, I love it. I, I thank God for that. I mean, I look at things in my life. I'm like, Lord, everything you give me, you bless. I love it. Everything I set my hand to is blessed. I have favor everywhere I go. God, everything I touch is blessed. Everywhere I go is blessed. Everyone I talk to, I have favor with. Lord, thank you. Even my enemies, you make at peace with me. Everywhere I go. That's what the Bible says. You should declare that over your life. It's truth. This isn't just something I'm making up. This is Bible. If you aren't living this, you ought to be living it. You need to start walking in it. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> so everywhere Joseph went, some of you are going to get it and you're going to walk in and others are just going to miss it. Good preaching, Duncan. Okay, the next. It's okay. He wants you everywhere you go to be blessed. Joseph, everywhere he went was blessed. And then, and then you get Potiphar's wife. Even dealing with Potiphar's wife, even in the middle, I mean, she wouldn't leave the guy alone. Now, you know that you're a good-looking dude if the Bible says you're a good-looking dude. <laughs> I mean, really, and that's what the Bible says. He was handsome. His form, his form and whatever it was, was handsome. You know, when the Bible says that, you, the Bible doesn't lie, right? And if, if God took note of it, <laughs> you know. God looked at him and said, I did pretty good on this one. <laughs> that Bob Keeft, we're, we're still working on Bob, but, but this one, this was pretty good. Sorry, Bob. And then Potiphar's wife, I mean, she wouldn't leave him alone. The Bible says day after, this wasn't just a one-time thing. Day after day after day after day, she was bugging. I mean, she was trying to get to Joseph. And Joseph kept ignoring her, putting her off. And then finally, she calls him into the house, and he takes off running. He's like, peace, see ya. And runs, and she grabs, I mean, she was close enough. I mean, you, you have to... I, I'm having an ADD morning up and down. I'm sorry. So for those of you that understand, you understand. I'm sorry. I'm just up and down. And so, uh, you know, so, th- <laughs> so anyway, so he comes, you know, comes in, in the house and, and she's, she's pretty close, right? Like she's, y'all get the, she's close. <laughs> And I, I mean, Joseph, Joseph was close. Like, he allowed himself to get close to her. Problem number one, don't get close to the devil. Anyway. <laughs> and she's, she's, and what, she, he runs, and while he's, she's, you know, 
so close, she can grab, I'm not going to actually do this, but she grabs hold of his garment, he takes off running, and she rips off his outer garment when he takes off running, and then what does she do? Immediately she tells the lie to the guards. He came in here and tried to get to me, and blah, 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 blah. You know, immediately the story goes on, and then she tells Potiphar. Well, Potiphar puts him in jail. And that, to most of you, think that's the end of the story. No, Joseph has favor on his life. Everywhere he goes, there's favor. Now, he stewarded that favor. He told Potiphar's wife, I'm not going to sin against my God. I'm not going to sin against your husband. I'm not going to sin against God. And so, now he's in the prison. And everything he's doing in the prison is blessed. I mean, he's in a prison. How much can you do? And this isn't... I have to say, how much can you do in a prison was my question. In the United States, a whole lot. <laughs> but that's not, that wasn't, the, that wasn't the prison Joseph was in. But the master of the prison thought that Joseph was a pretty cool guy, and he let him lead all the affairs related to the prisoners. And so everything that Joseph was doing in the prison was blessed. Prisoners were having a good time. I have this image of Elf, the movie, for some reason in my mind about this. When, when the dad sends Elf down to the basement and says, you're in the basement. And they mysteriously, I won't tell you why they had a good time, but they had a good time in the basement. Right? And they start, everybody's dancing and having a good time. That's kind of the image. Like, you're trying to get rid of this guy, but everywhere he goes, he's dancing. There's a party everywhere he goes. Everywhere Joseph goes, there's a party. Here he is in the prison, and he turns the prison upside down. There's a party, and everything's blessed. And finally, Joseph gets out of prison. We know the story. He gets out of prison, and the Lord exalts him, and he becomes number two in all of Egypt. Favor comes in your wilderness. For 13 years, Joseph lived in in a place of imprisonment and despair. But he never forgot his God. And God never forgot him. It was a wilderness journey, but it was a process of God equipping and preparing Joseph for that day where he would rule as number two. And that Joseph would have to remember that it was God who gave him success. If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 41. I want you to see something. I want you to see something. God has exalted Joseph at this point. God has exalted Joseph at this point. In verse, uh, chapter 40, 41 and verse 50. And it says, And to Joseph were born two sons. Before the years of famine came. So this was in the place of success. God has exalted Joseph. He's ruling as number two. They're preparing for the famine that's to come. And on, in verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. And what, is, what does the name mean? For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. His firstborn, he said, God has made me forget all of my toil. It's in those wilderness places that God shows up in a miraculous way and He always, always redeems those, those wilderness places for His glory where you're able to say, God has made me forget my toil. And the name of the second one He called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Can I tell you this morning... God has made you to be fruitful in your land of affliction. and your place of trouble, in your place of trial, it is your place of greatest joy. Your place of toil is your place of greatest joy. Your place of affliction is your place of fruitfulness. You all have time for more? Anybody in a hurry? If you are, okay, the majority rules. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, I love this, in your wilderness place, <clears throat> thus says the Lord, Isaiah 43, 16, thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, 
and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Verse 18, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. It shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Have you ever felt like you didn't know which way to turn? Have you ever been in that place in life where you were like, I don't know which direction I should go. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to fix this. I wish I could make it better. It's only getting worse. Which way should I go? When you feel like there is no road, God says, I'll make a road in the wilderness. When you feel like you don't know what direction to go, I'll make a path where there is no path. Where you're not sure of what path to take or where to go, God says, I will make a road. This will be different than any other road. It'll be a road marked by God. This will be different than any other highway. You know, you might get out here on the interstate and you can go north, you can go south. And if you don't know where you're going, you can take the wrong exit. You can end up in some place. You could end up in California at some, you know. You could end up in some place. You just don't know where you'll end up. God says, I will make a road in your wilderness that will be marked. This road, a road of heaven, a road of God, that you'll know the path that you're to take. It's in the wilderness places that you feel parched and drained. It's easy in the wilderness to, to be over, overwhelmed and overcome. Your, your heart is stirred. You feel like you can't get rest. You feel like you can't get rest. This, the, the streams in desert places is more than just about what you're drinking. If you go to Psalms 23, He makes me to lie down in green pastures by the still waters. And He restores my soul. There's a restoration that comes in the rivers of living water. In the middle of your desert places. Yeah, you can have a drink from the river of life. But He also will make you lie down in your wilderness places. When you hear the jackals laughing all around you. When you hear the tormentors all around you. When you hear the, the taunts and the lies and all the things all around you. He'll make you lie down right in the middle of your wilderness. Because there's a river flowing. He'll bring clarity in your confusion. He'll bring rest for your tired soul. Supernatural miracles happen in your wilderness places. I have more examples, but I, I think you get the point. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Maybe we'll do part two next week. Don't run from your wilderness. Embrace it. Don't run from your wilderness. Embrace it. Don't run from your wilderness. Embrace it. When you find yourself in a wilderness place, you ought to walk in and say, Wilderness, I am fruitful in my land of affliction. It is written, I am fruitful in the land of my affliction. Hallelujah. If you're in a troubled place this morning, I've got good news. The Lord sees and He knows. And not only does He see and know that you're in a troubled place, 
Not only does he see and he knows, but he's right there with you. He's making streams to burst forth in your desert place. He's right there with you. He's making the fruitfulness. He's making things abound. He's protecting. He's bringing victory. He's bringing breakthrough. I want to encourage you, when you leave this place, if, you're, if you find yourself in a, in a wilderness place today, I, I want to say a couple things. One, if you find yourself in that place, walk out of here today speaking over your wilderness. Stop grumbling and complaining about your wilderness and start speaking over it. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. I'll encourage myself. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Speak over. Speak over your wilderness. And when you hear the lies of the enemy and the taunts of the enemy, it is written. and, And you just start, you speak the word of God over it. It is written. It is written. It is written. Speak the word. We live in a day, I, I believe that the, the, the church, the climate of the church and, and how we do church has changed and what, how we view church has changed. It's changing. And it, it's country, you know, country clubs, social hour, all those things. It's not going to, it's, it's not going to suffice. When you're when you're in a wilderness, when you're in a wilderness, you don't want to you don't want to come to church and have a bunch of people that are fake and put on a fake smile and oh just bless the Lord. How are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Can I? Things that things that are true, we've made cliche. I am blessed and I am highly favored, but I am not cliche. <laughs> and that's not a fake way for me to just deal with nothing. <laughs> when you're in the middle of the wilderness, you don't want a bunch of people just telling you, I'm blessed and highly favored, hallelujah. When you're in the wilderness place, you want some people who are walking there with you who say, your wilderness is going to blossom. Don't get your eyes on what's not. See the eternal. See what God's doing in and around you. Look at the blossoms. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a wilderness journey, I don't want somebody just quoting scripture telling me, oh, you're going to be okay, brother. You're going to make it through. I will. I'm, that's all I know how to do, Kathy. I don't know anything else. She said, keep it real. I don't know how to do anything else. When I'm, when I'm going through a trouble, I don't want somebody to tell me, oh, bless God, you're going to make it through. Right? I don't, that's not what I need. I need somebody who can see what I can't see who's going to walk with me. And say, I see blooms happening. I see a river. Keep walking. Keep pressing into God. Miracles are going to happen in this situation. God's going to turn this. I believe that. We're going to let's do it together, not just flippantly say things. So this morning, if you're in a wilderness journey, I want you to know if you're not there now, you will be. <laughs> Good preaching, Pastor. Hallelujah. <laughs> If you ain't there now, you will be. And you need to be. You need to be. Wilderness journeys are good. You need to be. Change happens there. Miracles happen there. Victory happens there. Provision happens there. And while you're there, while you're passing through in the middle... You have friends and family, church family, church friends around you. They're going to walk with you along the way. 
We're not going to look at you and say, I don't know what you did to end up here, but you really blew it. You need to get your act together. Well, if you were really spiritual, you would do this. Oh, that really gets me. If you had faith, you, should, you would be doing this. I'm going to show you faith. The Bible says faith without works is dead. Let me show you some works. <laughs> I'll show you what I have. I've got faith. I've got faith that this fist will meet your eye. I've got faith and I got works. Hallelujah. Right? That's not what we want. You know, that's not. But when you're in the wilderness, you you got people around you. You're gonna say, We're gonna walk with you. We're gonna encourage you. The jackals may be howling and laughing, but we're gonna walk with you through it. Amen. Amen. We're gonna receive communion together. And that's what communion, that's an, another element of communion is that we're in this together. We're in this journey together. I'm going to ask our ushers if they'll come forward. They're going to help me with communion. Thank you, Lord. While we serve communion, just worship with us. We'll just wait until everyone's been served, and then we'll receive communion together. say that was a wilderness journey <laughs> he'd become familiar with those he was out praying and his disciples couldn't stay awake 
one of the most horrendous moments of Jesus' life. And his disciples couldn't stay awake to be there with him. They had had a they had, had full bellies from the night before, from that from that night. Eating the Passover meal. They had full bellies and a full night. They were tired. We're reminded, even in Jesus' loneliness, when he felt no support from those who were closest to him. Jesus tells you and I today, he's familiar. This is for someone this morning. He's familiar with your loneliness. He's familiar with your loneliness. He's been down that path where the people he thought that should support him and be with him had left him, couldn't stay awake. He's so familiar with that that he tells you and I today, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He says, I am with you always. So even in the middle of your wilderness where you feel that you're all alone and no one understands, I'm not being cliche when I say, Jesus is walking with you. You're not really alone. Your emotions may feel that way, but the reality is, is that he's right beside you. So today as we receive communion, we remember we're not alone. He's with us. His broken body, as we eat the bread, his broken body reminds us that we have healing, we have wholeness, we have unity, we have peace. So Jesus, we thank you for your broken body. We thank you that you never leave us, that you never forsake us. You're walking. You're walking with us today. In the wilderness and on the mountaintop, you never leave us. You never abandon us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's eat together. says that when Jesus was there in the garden we'll say it was a wilderness journey he began to sweat drops of blood he was so stressed so physically overwhelmed that his body he began to sweat blood and then we know that he he was brutally murdered for our sins. But in the garden, in the wilderness place, he was so emotionally affected by what he was facing that he was sweating blood. When you find yourself in those hard places, he's familiar with all of the emotions that you face, the hardness of that situation, the difficulty, the emotional distress. He understands. He's been there. That's why he tells us that he's able to heal you completely. Spirit, soul, body, not just your physical self, but he's able to heal your emotions. He's able to take the pressure off. He's able to remove the pressure, the stressor that you're carrying. You might feel that stress in your body from what you're facing this morning. You might feel stress. Some of you this morning are carrying physically the stress of your situation. You're carrying it in your body. Your bones hurt. Your muscles hurt. Your back, your neck. You're in constant pain because you're carrying the stress. Jesus was in so much distress the night of his betrayal that he was sweating blood. 
He understands what distress is all about. And he died and suffered so you wouldn't have to. He died, he suffered, he rose again so you wouldn't have to carry the stress of your situation in your body and be distressed and be overtaken. I'm talking to somebody right now. Hey, you don't have to be overtaken physically by that situation. He wants to heal your body. He wants to heal your emotions. His blood, Hebrews tells us, cleanses our conscience, cleanses your emotions, cleanses your desires, washes all of those things away as if they never happened. And His blood restores. Not only removes it, but restores as if it never happened. As if it never happened. As if that experience never happened. Isn't that what Joseph said? He's made me forget the toil. I believe that somebody's getting this. Somebody's getting this. He's, he's making you forget your toil. What the enemy meant for your destruction. What you have looked at as toil and hardship. He's changing the story. You don't even, you're not even going to see the toil in it anymore. He's made you forget it. Made you forget. So Jesus, this morning, we thank you for your blood that forgives us, but we thank you that it also restores, that it removes the effects of sin, it removes the effects of this life, washes us clean this morning. So as we drink this juice, Lord, I pray that supernaturally you would do that and people this morning, supernaturally, as we drink this together, it reminds us that you do it right now in this moment. You wash us. You wash that stress away. You wash the distress away. You cause us to forget our toil. You, for, you cause us to forget the trouble. You, you have, we, even, the, even the moment, even the instance, Lord, you cause us to forget. You make it all new. Let's drink together. Thank you, Jesus. Just thank you. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Jesus.